Hey, we are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 this morning. Um, if you've got me this week, Pastor Chris will be next back next week, and I think he'll be back for a while. I don't think we have any more tournaments coming up soon anyway. So, where we're at so far, uh, Paul wrote this letter to deal with practical problems in the church. Right, the, the real stuff that we experience day to day. Uh, he, we talked about divisions in the church and unity. Uh, he's going to talk about sexual purity and marriage, uh, divorce, personal liberty, uh, public worship, spiritual gifts, their use and abuse, um, and big doctrinal issues like the resurrection. All of that's going to be in this letter. But ultimately, though, Paul wants, uh, wants us to see that our relationship with Jesus should affect everything, right? It, it, it's not just a spiritual thing. It's not just a, you know, high concept thing. It should affect my day-to-day -day life, including my marriage and my, my work and all of that stuff. It, it should play out in practical ways, and that's, that's going to be uh, really the focus of the letter, right? Cleaning up the messes in our lives, dealing with the, the practical stuff. We're going to read a little bit of uh, the, the text we'll be in. We'll pray and then get into it. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. I'm still pretty booming this out there. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the hearts of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. So I know that was a mouthful. We're going to kind of break that down a little by little. Uh, but before we do, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us understand it. Jesus, we thank you this morning for giving us the opportunity to gather together to fellowship and worship. Where we get to sing songs of praise of your excellence and your worthiness. And Lord, we're, uh, we're looking into your holy word this morning, hoping to know you better through it. We just pray that you would open our eyes to the, the truth in your word, that we could see uh, what it is you'd have us do, uh, how we can walk closer with you, and just how much you love us. Uh, we pray that uh, for understanding, for wisdom, and we pray for your will to be done through the message and in, your, in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's been a word that's been popping up, right, in the, last, the first few messages. We keep seeing this word, wisdom. Pastor Chris spent a lot of time on it last week. And the Greeks, the, the Greek culture, they were really 
um, they had a deep fascination with wisdom. That word, wisdom, it's uh, Sophia. That's where we get that name, Sophia, right? It's Sophia, it's wisdom. Uh, but then the Philosophia is the love of wisdom, right? That's where we get philosophy. People who are into philosophy, they love wisdom. And so, you know, we, we know of uh, a few different names from you know, Greek culture, the ancient world, right? These Greek philosophers. But a public speaker was often called a sophist, right? This is a person who's going to speak wisdom. Now, they, uh, a sophist was not just a speaker of wisdom, but they had like a carefully crafted story to attract the crowd. There was one main topic that each sophist would, you know, you knew that this is the guy that talks about that thing, right? And he would have a carefully crafted message that people would gather to hear. Kind of like a TED Talk today, right? I don't know if you've ever watched any of those, but they, they have a very carefully crafted message. Um, and, and there was a little bit of slick willy car salesman mixed in there, right? A little entertainment uh, value, a little politician mixed in. That's what a sophist was. Today, um, we don't really use this word a lot, but when we, if you were to look up the word sophistry, um, we use that to describe someone who makes a, uh, a deliberately deceiving argument. It's a politician, basically. Um, so sophistry, it would be like um, cutting people is a crime, right? Doctors cut people, therefore doctors are criminals. Right? That's, a, that's a logical fallacy. It's sophistry. And we see that in the news all the time, right? You like this. That means you hate these people, right? Or you hate this. So that means you love this. And it doesn't all, always go... Uh, go down smoothly. But anyway, so that's that's what Paul's talking about when he says, when I came to you, verse 1, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. I didn't come as a sophist, right? I didn't come with this carefully crafted sales pitch. I didn't, I didn't show up and wow you with my amazing oratory skills. And that gives me some comfort. I'm, a, you know, socially awkward. I had a speech impediment growing up that still pops up sometimes. And and so it's, it's good for me to know that, okay, you don't have to be super smooth at, at public speaking. But don't get it twisted. Paul wasn't saying he was incapable of that. He was very capable of being a, you know, a powerful public speaker. Uh, prior to coming to Corinth, he was in Athens in, in Acts 17, and uh, where he stood at the uh, Areopagus, the Mars Hill, and and all the um, you know all the Athenian philosophers had gathered together. They wanted to hear this guy, uh, hear people speak wisdom. And he gathers them around and, and talks to them about the unknown God. And he quoted some of their own secular um, uh, philosophers to them. Right? We know that he was capable of of speaking wisely with all the wise people. But he knew that the Corinthian people were prone to hero worship. Right? Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago where people in the church were saying, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and you know, picking sides. And he knew that that was something they were prone to. And so he was careful to keep their attention focused in the right direction. When he came and talked to them, he was like, I don't want you being wowed by me as a public speaker because that's something you're used to. I came with something 
uh, much simpler. Verse 2, he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because I came with one message. I, I, my focus was to keep, you know, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? That's the goal. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so he tried to keep singularly focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now there's a place for, uh, we, we talk about um, apologetics sometimes, you know, that's the people that, um, people have scientific questions, philosophical questions uh, that may be keeping them from hearing the word of God. Right? You know, I just, I have a hard time believing because of this scientific issue. Or, you know, the Noah's Ark story, or whatever, you know. Those things, and, and that's where apolog apologetics come in, where we can kind of answer some of those questions that may be serving as a stumbling block to you uh, being willing to listen to the Word. But in the end, that's not what saves anyone. It is the Word. Right? It's the Word of God. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says this. It says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of you might want to underline this in your Bible if you're a note taker piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart to these same Greek people they were lovers of wisdom but over time they began to notice uh there seemed to be an order to things, or an order to the universe, an order to the natural world. Uh, patterns that repeated, things like seasons and, and uh, you know, astrological events. And there had to be an explanation to this order. This, they called this uh, logos, right? the word. There was a word to explain this, this thing, this pattern that we're noticing where we get logic from, right? But the Bible tells us also that in the beginning was what? The Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word is Lagos, right? That same Word. The Word is the explanation, right? The Word is uh, the, the order of things. The reason... You know, that things work the way they work. The word is the answer to that those, to those questions. And so Paul says, I came and I simply taught the word simply. Because his word is alive and it's, it's supernatural. In the Gospels, when we see Jesus teaching and speaking, very often there were multiple occasions where people were like, man, he speaks so differently than the other teachers that we're used to. He speaks so differently than the other rabbis. And the way he spoke differently was he spoke simply in a way that people could understand and relate to. So I think it's important when you try to, if you're going to share your faith with someone, be who you are, right? You have your own personality. God made you to be you. You're uh, his unique craftsmanship, the Bible says. But, uh, your personality shouldn't be so big that we, we can't see through you and see Jesus. And so Paul says, I came 
bringing this one thing, trying to bring an answer to the order of the universe in a simple way. And the answer was Jesus and Him crucified. Verse 3, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, by this point in his ministry, he's been um, stoned, left for dead. Uh, he's nearly been torn apart by riots in the streets. And he's a little beat up. And he's, but he comes and he preaches anyway because the reward was worth the risk. Verse 4, he says, In my message and my preaching... We're not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He says, I didn't just come giving you uh, logical riddles and stuff. I, I, the world's wisdom is different than God's wisdom. And we see that play out still today. There's, there's worldly wisdom, things that, that seem true. And then God says, hmm, it's actually like this. Right? The world will say, uh, follow your heart. God's word says, your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Right? Your heart, uh, is, you don't always, you don't always want to follow your gut or your instinct or whatever you want to call it because it will deceive you. Now the world will say, you know, you should look out for number one. And God says, put other people ahead of yourself. The world says, you know, in your relationship, he or she doesn't make me happy anymore. So it's time to move on. And God says, he or she isn't responsible for your happiness. Right? You're, they can add to it, but ultimately you're supposed to find your joy and your completeness in me. And then your spouse can add to it. But if you're, you're putting that responsibility of your contentment and joy and happiness on another person, they will always ultimately fail at that. It's too big of a job. Verse 6, he says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. This word mature is interesting. He, he uses this word um, uh, teleo or teleo. And it, it means fulfilled. It's the word that some of you that work in maybe the uh, technical or, or um, industrial environments, you've probably had to deal with telemetry. Right? It's, the, it's the order of uh, the pathway of getting information from one place to another. Telemetry is how... You know, the machine tells that machine to do this thing. And he says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, who have the telemetry, right? That God is, God is sending a message out, and if you're receiving it, you complete the, the circuit, right? You, you complete the point of the thing. Verse 7, he says, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages our glory. Again, uh, mystery was a, a big, a big thing in the ancient world and in, in the Greek culture, especially. Right? They he uses the word mysterion. It's this was like um, specifically like religious secrets, like a secret society would would share. You know, 
everyone's attracted to a little mysterious. Right? You want to be on the inside and you know know the secret handshakes and, and uh, uh, you know you're gonna love this band. I I knew them before anybody else had heard of them. Right? We, I guess he's talking about hipsters, basically. Right? He's, he's saying you know. I know you're attracted to that mystery, being on the inside, being the elite. We all like to be a part of that, but he says this message, the gospel, uh, God's plan for the church, uh, those were all things that weren't really understood until now, he says, but we've got the whole story available. Right? If you want to know the, the big secret story, here it is. Verse 8, he says, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the people really understood the order of things, they would not have crucified Jesus. They, would, they knew it was wrong to crucify an innocent man. But had they realized who this innocent man was, nobody would have gone through with it. The problem is ignorance of the law it doesn't equal innocence. Right? As much as I've tried to plead that when I've gotten pulled over a couple times, uh, I didn't. I didn't know that the speed limit wasn't 85. I didn't know. Verse nine he says, "But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the hearts of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him." For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Not, not through hard work, not through study, but through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, I'll be honest. I've, verse 9, I have misquoted multiple times, right? Because we, we love to quote that saying, man, you have no idea what heaven's going to be like. Because eye is not seen, ear is not heard, Right? But that's not what Paul says. He's not just saying that heaven is so much better than you think. He says, but God has told us what it's like. He has revealed that. Now, we may not get the full picture, but we have visions, right, that certain prophets saw. We, we read Revelation. John describes some pretty wild stuff that he sees. Paul talks a little bit about the, the afterlife. And we see it in the Old Testament with certain prophets. God has revealed this stuff. But he says, you can't really know it. You can't really know the story based on just your imagination. Because you just can't imagine all the things God has in mind. You can't know it just through your own personal investigation, no matter how much research you do. But it has to come through revelation, right? That God has revealed it, he says, through the Spirit. Now, your Bible may have capitalized the S on Spirit, right? Whenever you see a, a capitalization like that, that is kind of out of place. That's usually a, an indication that it, we're talking about deity. We're talking about God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, he says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now this is a little off track, but believe it or not, you cannot actually read your spouse's mind. You can guess and, and get it right a lot, but uh, 
You know, later in this same book, Paul, in chapter 13, describes what love really does. Like it's patient and kind, not jealous, not arrogant, doesn't brag, doesn't act unbecomingly, uh, doesn't keep a grudge. Um, and it doesn't, it bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things, endures all things. Basically, he says, love believes the best about the other person until it's absolutely proven different. Now, how often do we assume the worst about what our partner is thinking or doing or their intention? Right? And it causes uh, more conflict than, uh, than we would, any of us would like to have. So quit assuming the worst about someone else's intentions unless you absolutely know uh, different. Because very often we will, we will live up to expectations. Right? If you expect me uh, to have ill intentions, that may just be what you get. Right? If you expect uh, negativity, you may just find that. has really nothing to do with the message, but I'm just throwing that one in for free. So he says, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. So we keep seeing this word spirit popping up over and over and over. So what, what is the spirit? What is, what is the spirit he's talking about? I think this is something that's really misunderstood. God is, is uh, triune, right? We, we, we've got the Trinity. We've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you were made in His image. Now, for most of us, we think of, uh, we're like a dichotomy, right? You have a body and you have a soul. The Bible actually teaches something different. It teaches that you, because you're made in God's image, you have a uh, trichotomy, right? You're comprised of three distinct parts. You've got a body soul and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, this is another one of Paul's letters, verse 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The ancient world, they, most people, their understanding was similar to what I just said that our understanding is, right? That you had a body and you had a soul, and your soul was kind of a mixture of both. It was just all of who you are. And, and Paul says, no, there's, you're missing a, an important element, right? Your body, we don't need much uh, instruction on that one, right? It's our flesh, our physical uh, stuff, the part you spend the most money on. It's... Uh, it's the part we weigh and measure, or we avoid weighing and measuring. Uh, it's the part we go to the doctor for, right? And for some of us, uh, you know, that's, that's our animal instinct. It's, and for some people, that is what drives their life, is just feeding the, the animal urges. And then our soul is your heart and your intellect, right? It's your personality, your emotions. And for some of us, that's what drives our decisions, is, uh, you know, thinking about it logically or responding emotionally, which i found gets me into trouble. But there's a third element Paul describes. He says you, ha you have a spirit, and the spirit is the source of life. Back in Genesis, 
chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Right? This is what made man different than any other created thing. Is having that breath of life. The, the source of life was God's breath into it. Most of us have made nearly every decision in our lives up until this point by either our body or our soul. Right? We're, we're either driven by animal instincts or emotion with no thought of the spirit, of the source of life. The thing that sets us apart. Well, God's will for us, His desire for us, is that we're not just born but that we're, what, born again. Gold star from the show. Right? He, he wants us to be born and born again. So in the beginning, God breathed life into us. And then Jesus, when we come to faith in him, in John 20, verse 22, it says, when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed new life into us again. So you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. And depending on your background, you may have heard a lot about the Holy Spirit, or maybe this is something you've, your church never really dealt with, or you're new to church, and okay, well now we're talking about ghosts and stuff, you know, what's going on. What is our relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because he says he puts, if you believe, he puts his Spirit, he breathes his Spirit into you. Later in the same letter, Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. He says, The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So we receive God's Holy Spirit and the two become intermeshed. Two become one. And so the spiritual part that we've neglected our whole lives is now the main thing. This is how we know that we belong to Him. We've got His Spirit in us. The thing I've neglected my whole life is now the main thing, this relationship I have with Him. And so if I'm spiritually joined to God, uh, I should probably be making decisions that involve Him in it. Right? That His Spirit should be driving my decisions, not my emotions, not my flesh. Back to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the capital S, Spirit, who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Certain spiritual words are worth learning. Uh, you know, we, we talk a little bit around here about Christianese, you know, those, those phrases that only people that grew up in church know what they mean, and, you know, I just really feel led to do blah, blah, blah. You know, that's one of those, that's Christianese. Um, but there are spiritual words that actually are worth learning, spiritual truths that are worth learning, like salvation, right? justification, that's just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, sanctification, that's our growing in, in faith, growing in maturity. Um, 
really fancy one is the hypostatic union. That's what, you know, talking about how Jesus is all God and all man at the same time. Those things are worth learning, right? But he, he says we're combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, putting words to the realities that we are, are, you know, our spirit is trying to teach us. Verse 14, he says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually judged. Paul's saying, you know, the wisdom of God means nothing to people who don't know God, who aren't accepting the gospel or the cross. And as Kevin was talking about earlier, you know, the, the, the idea of giving and not losing because you gave doesn't, you know, the, our nat- the natural part of this doesn't understand. Now, this word natural, he guess what word he used there? It means it, it, he wasn't talking about body. He wasn't talking about flesh. He said, of the soul. That's what that word natural meant in the Greek. Of the soul. Right? So, if we're making our, if our wisdom and our decisions are all based on how we feel, uh, we're, we're not going to accept the things of God if we're being driven by that. Because many of us, we neglect the main thing, right? We The connection to God's Spirit. Instead of being governed by His Spirit, we're being governed by Verse 15, he says, He who is spiritual appraises or judges all things, yet he himself is appraised or judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You know, God doesn't need um, my advice, but I try to give it sometimes. Right? When I pray, I, I try to give him the way that I want him to an- answer the prayer. Like he couldn't have figured it out. But I'm assuming things about him. Right? Just like we talked about, we do that in our relationships, right? We we assume that he's not going to answer the way we want or the what we think will be the best way. And that's a hard thing to reconcile, right? To get to that point where I got I your will, not mine. I trust you. So I know we we went through a bunch of stuff. Right? What is the point of all this? It's this. You are a spiritual being. Now, when we talk about people who are spiritual, what we really are thinking of is people who are driven by their soul, right? by their emotions. Spiritual people tend to be really, you know, they feel things deeply. That's not what God's talking about. You are a spiritual being. Now, you're no longer to be driven just by your feelings or your animal urges. So are you carnal? Are you are the lusts of your flesh in charge? Um, are you primarily soul-driven? Are you a soul man? Are my emotions and my intellect doing all the driving? This is, this is where most Christians are, right? We're... Uh, Churches, for most of us, churches about how I feel. Um, if the music and the preaching make me feel good, then I want to come back. If they preach on something I don't like and I don't feel good, then I'll go find somewhere else where I feel good. Or, 
maybe I'm being called to take a step of faith in some area, and it's scary. And so I don't take that step because of fear. That's, that's being driven by your emotions. As Chris says, uh, ministry begins where convenience ends. Right? If we're always driven by how good I feel, uh, we're not maturing. Right? We're, we're, we're living too much by that part of uh, what makes us us. We've lived our whole lives doing what comes naturally. And God says, I'm calling you now to lead a supernatural life, to, to make your connection with me, with God, the main thing. And the amazing thing is, is that when we make him the main thing, no, nothing else suffers because of it. If you put God first in your life, your, your spouse and your kids don't suffer because of it. They don't get lowered to a lower position, they actually benefit from. Bottom line, Paul is telling us here, and, and our goal when we, we speak on Sundays and Wednesdays is we want you to know the one who was crucified for you, and to know him better and better. Right? Your spirit, um, that your spirit would be open and, and complete the circuit that we were talking about, right? That you know who God really is, and through that, who you can be. Now, Paul puts it much more eloquently than I can in another one of his letters. We'll read this one first. In Ephesians 3, verse 14. This is the reason, the goal, the motivation behind all this stuff. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God, so that, that you could actually wrap your mind and heart around just how big he really is. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Look, we've neglected a major part of, of what makes us us. Right? You have a part of you that, that is only fully activated, that is, that is only being fully utilized when it's in concert and connection with God. He breathed life into you. If you trusted Him for eternal life, He breathed new life into you. And, and you reach that fullness and maturity uh, living in and through and for Him. I'll leave it at all that. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much that, uh, that You love us more than we could understand. That Your love is, is bigger than words can explain. That what You have in store for us, it, we can't even imagine. So Lord, we pray that today and tomorrow as we try to live out our faith, that our spirits would be more in tune with yours, or that you would be the main thing that drives our decisions. Anyone that's listening here online that 
hasn't formed a relationship with you yet, I, Lord, we're just praying that they would see that you've done all the work, that you've paid the price, that, that they would trust you for eternal life, you would, you give it. That their spirits, they could finally find fulfillment and, and purpose like they've never found before. Lord, help us keep the main thing. The main thing. That we would love you and, and love others. And we're praying for your will to be done through this church and through your people. And we pray you come and come quickly. And all God's people say. Amen. Alright, ready? Break. Break.